Today I'm speaking with Chris Costanzo. She's the founder and editor of Food Bank News. Chris started Food Bank News in 2019 with the goal of providing a forum for food bank executives to share news and best practices to better solve hunger. Before that, she worked as an editor, writer and reporter for nearly 30 years covering the financial services sector. Chris is a graduate of Cornell University and she lives just outside of New York City with her family. We talk about the challenges being seen with food insecurity in 2020, the increase in demand and the disruption due to the pandemic, and also what Chris has learned about the sector since starting Food Bank News. Here's my conversation with Chris Costanzo. Morning, Chris. Welcome to the Task Podcast. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Very well, thanks. Yeah, so it's, it's what, early morning for you over there right now? Yep, it's about 8 a.m. in the morning here in uh, the East Coast of the U.S., near New York City. Right, well, evening for me. And yeah, looking forward to this chat and, and um, you know, just kind of exploring some of the, the topics around food insecurity and, and what's been happening this year. Um, I, as a way of introduction, I, I will have done a short one just going into the podcast, but, um, you know, really good to maybe give a bit more background than I will have done in terms of uh, you know, what got you to, to founding Food Bank News, you know, your journey to that and what you're doing today. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, Food Bank News started when I was volunteering at my local food pantry um, right here in South Orange, New Jersey. And um, the woman who was running the pantry at the time was relatively new and she had kind of been doing some, some things that sort of raised the visibility of the pantry in the community. Um, so I was volunteering there and I thought, um, that it would make kind of a neat story for our community, um, magazine, right? Just a small little publication that goes around to our town. And, uh, so we, I sat down with her, we did an interview, I wrote a story and, uh, from there, um, I got involved with, along with this woman, she was, she was involved in another group that's part of, um, a group of 20 pantries within our county and, um, they would get together every month and this group of pantry managers would share ideas, exchange information, talk about best practices. They had guest speakers come to their meetings. Um, so I got involved in this larger group and at the time they were building a new website and they were looking for someone to tell stories on the website. So I came along as a volunteer just to be a storyteller for the website, not really knowing what that would really be about. And I went to my first monthly meeting of the 20 pantry managers. And I was just kind of sitting there and taking it all in. And they happened to have a couple guest speakers at that meeting. And um, I'm taking notes and I'm realizing that, you know, the information that they were talking about and exchanging was really helpful for that group of 20, but also really helpful to anyone in the country who might be running a food pantry or a food bank. Um, and it, it's felt to me like it deserved a, you know, kind of a wider audience. So I actually left that meeting and went right to godaddy.com, which is where you buy your website URLs. And I looked up to see if anyone had food bank news or food pantry news and nobody did. So I bought the sites for like 20 bucks and I just started from there diving in and researching it and looking into it and, um, you know, discovering, um, kind of amazingly to me that there was no publication or no sort of forum out there for people who work at food banks or food pantries to exchange information. And I was just really shocked that there was this huge, enormous problem of hunger 
and yet there was no sort of um, forum for people to be exchanging ideas. And I know from my, my career, basically the career that I've had for the previous 30 years where I've been working in trade magazine publications, there is a trade magazine for everything. So there's a trade magazine that's called Broom, Brush and Mop, like for people who sell brooms, I guess. Um, it, every single thing that anybody does, woodworking or you know, being the pastor of a church, whatever it might be, there's a trade magazine for it. So I was really surprised to find out that there was this enormous problem of hunger, no sort of trade magazine to sort of um, you know, be, an, be an industry uh, flagship or standard for, for the sector. Um, and then, so that's how I started doing it. <laughs> so you, and how long have you guys been going for now? How long has the publication been around? Um, well, it's, I've started in earnest, I would say about a year and a half ago. So April, 2019, um, was when we really pushed it out and pushed it out to a lot of people. And before that I was doing research. Um, you know, so the job that I have now is very similar to the job that I used to do when I was covering, I was covering financial services, um, banks regular old banks, now I'm covering food banks. Um, so it's the same idea of finding stories um, and just putting them out there and telling people about them. And that's what we, we try to do. Yeah, well, I mean, I was just before we chatted, I was on the site browsing and I you know, read a few articles and I've, I've, you know, I've been back and forth there a few times over the months, but it certainly looks like a, it looks like a media channel that's been out there a while, which is good. So obviously there's a lot to talk about in this space. Um, in, in terms of, I mean, from traditional banks to food banks, that's a, that's a, a very different space to be in, in, in terms of, um, you know, writing and, and creating awareness. It, it, was there anything that kind of surprised you when you came into this space, things that you learned that you just didn't think you were going to, you know, you were going to find out as you came into the kind of food insecurity world? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that surprised me. Um, I guess one of the first things was realizing the scale of the food banks compared to the scale of um, the government, right? So um, the, the food banks are very much in the public imagination, especially now with COVID um, and you know, all the, the kind of economic distress that everyone's been feeling and how that's impacted their ability to fill their refrigerators with food. Um, so the lines for the food banks here in the US have been unbelievable. I mean, literally miles long. There have been events where they've had 10,000 cars show up um, at a single, on a single day wow. to get food. It's just amazing, amazing visuals. Uh, you know, you got these drones flying overhead and just seeing these massive parking lots filled with cars with people getting food. So uh, it's, it's very visible kind of what the food banks are doing these days. However, even so, um, it was kind of surprising to me to understand the scale of the food bank operation compared to the scale of what the government can do. So the government um, currently puts out about $100 billion of, of uh, food aid to people, mostly in the form of food stamps, but also school lunches and school breakfasts and things like that. Um, so the, that amount, that $100 billion um, is about nine to 10 times more what the food banks are able to do. So, you know, sim simply being, you know, being the US government and having the scale and power that you have, you're 10 times more um, powerful than all of the food banks put together. Um, so that scale was kind of surprising to me. 
Um, that's a massive yeah. difference. That's a huge difference. And yeah. we just released a, you know, a white paper where we just went and researched this whole space. So, and, and that, I mean, you, those kind of numbers really dwarf actually what, what you're looking at just in the kind of food insecurity. Uh, when I'm saying food insecurity, I mean, completely related to food banks outside the government. So yeah, that's a massive, I mean, what, 90% yeah. more. So yeah, huge difference. Yeah. So, so what more food, more and more food banks are trying to do is to um, steer people toward well, food stamps are called SNAP here in the U.S. Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. So, trying more and more to steer steer um, clients towards SNAP. So that's kind of an you know important programmatic area for people now um, is to not just be handing out food, but also be signing them up for SNAP so that they can get that card with the monthly, um, you know, the, the monthly money on it and just use it to go to the grocery store. I mean, so the, you know, SNAP taps into a very efficient system that's already out there for distributing food, which is the grocery stores, right? You get your monthly card with your money on it and you just take it to the grocery store and you use it and you're shopping with every, the rest of the community and the rest of the people in the world. Um, and it's a very efficient way to help people. Um, so more and more food banks are trying to, you know, in addition to their job of handing out uh, food, are, are trying to steer people and get people signed up for SNAP, which is, I think, a great thing. Um, yeah, and the other thing that kind of surprised me when I got into this is the importance of what you put into your body to your health. So the, I was reading a speech that was given by the former head of the FDA um, a few years ago. And he said that if, we, in terms of public health, if we could improve the diet of the population, it would dwarf any kind of medical innovation that we could possibly do. So he's saying that, you know, uh, improving your nutrition intake would be would be more impactful than, um, you know, curing cancer. Yeah. Um, I just was shocked by, I guess, I mean, it makes perfect sense. It's not really shocking. It makes perfect sense, but I just hadn't really put together how important it is, what the food that you eat and especially, um, the population served by food banks, which is a lot of people who are, um, dealing with diabetes, obesity, heart disease, hypertension, you know, especially in terms of that population, um, what they eat and having a good diet is so, so important. So um, again, food banks can do a lot in that particular area. So currently food banks, uh, mostly, most of them distribute about 35% of fresh produce. Um, and so many of them are trying to raise that number. So to go from 35% to say 50% or say, especially in California, food banks are really getting up to more like in the, you know, maybe 70, 75%. Um, so again, there's so much that food banks can do in terms of um, you know, better addressing the needs of the people by um, actually sourcing fresh food, fresh produce, fresh vegetables, working with farms. Some of them have their own farms, doing whatever they can to source these fresh food and hand that out to your population. I mean, years ago, it was really about just calories. So it was a little regard to what actually kind of calories they were. So it was a lot of, you know, you might be getting sheet cake and Ritz crackers and potato chips when you go to the food bank, which is really not the thing that this population needs. It's really about giving them healthy food. Um, so 
uh, that was, you know, something that surprised me how important the diet was to everybody, especially this population. And again, it's an area that food banks where they can really make a difference um, in terms of what they hand out. Interesting. And I think, I don't know, I mean, it's kind of related, but when you look at the problems with diet, you know, often, I'm assuming this is the same in the US. It certainly is from my experience in, in Australia, which is, you know, when you're looking at the amount of money you have and then you're going to buy food, the cheapest food out there is often not is the worst food. This fast, the kind of fast food phenomenon, which has been around now for some time, is often the cheapest food you can get if you're struggling financially, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and there's this idea of food deserts and food swamps. So, you know, a lot of rural areas, it's hard to get access to any food. Um, and it's ironic because in the rural communities, they're, they're actually growing the food that's, that's, you know, feeds the nation. Um, but at the same time, it's hard for them to access, you know, grocery stores or farmer's markets that's far distance or they're not there. There's a lot of dollar stores that are um, feeding people in those areas, with not a lot of fresh, fresh food. And then in the urban areas, um, it's more the, the idea of a food swamp where you have like fast food everywhere and it's hard to get access to the fresh farm grown food. Um, so, you know, and that's another area that food banks are trying to address. They have um, traditionally food banks have uh, distributed their food through pantries, right? Like a lot of church basements and, um, you know, sort of like cubby holes and things like that that are open, you know, limited times. Um, and food banks are really trying to step up in terms of distribution channels and uh, maybe have uh, a fleet of, say, vans or mini trucks or buses or something like that that they kind of retrofit and turn into like a mobile market. And then they can take those mobile markets and go into these different areas and pass out the food or maybe go to a senior center and pass out the food. So there's a lot of innovation in terms of, you know, the distribution channels for the food right now, which yeah. is great. This, I mean, this is what, I mean, this is why, why we found ourselves um, somewhat kind of in this space this year is just because of, you know, the massive increases in demand on food banks since the, the virus hit. And but before we talk about that, and maybe this was a question in the beginning, a lot of our audience would not have had any exposure to food insecurity. But in terms of looking at the US market, you know, what are what are the, the, the drivers for this? What caused these problems? Is it simply economics, you know, people not having enough money to buy food? Or, or is it much more more of a complex issue that creates, you know, kind of mass food insecurity? Um, well, yeah, I, I guess it's a very complex and multivariable issue. Um, and I mean, food insecurity has a lot to do with the general economy, right? When the economy is going good, food insecurity is going down. And food insecurity was going down um, in a pretty good way before the coronavirus hit. Um, I think we, we had gone down by a percentage point um, from a year before and it kind of been steadily coming down from the impact of the Great Recession. Um, that all changed so much with the coronavirus. Um, it's doubled overall, food insecurity has doubled overall since um, the coronavirus hit and it's tripled among household with households with kids. So that's just um, getting to be a really big number. Uh, I think the one of the statistics that I read recently is that so that's, that means that one in three families with kids is suffering from food insecurity and one in four households overall. So you're talking like 25%, 30% of you know, the households out there are dealing with this. And 
you know, food insecurity, is, it's not like people are starving, right? It's not, we, we have a problem like you have in some other countries, but it's the idea that you, um, you don't always know where your next meal is going to come from, right? So there's a lot of stress that's related to that. Just, I mean, think about, you know, in your everyday life, you're always kind of thinking about, oh, what am I, what's my next meal going to be used? It's always on your mind, right? But if you're thinking about that and you really don't have anything in the fridge or in the cupboard, it's, you know, just such a, a source of stress. Um, mm -hmm. It's been exacerbated by the fact that normally a lot of school children will be receiving their lunches um, from the schools or their breakfasts. Um, a lot of kids get their nutrition, daily nutrition that way through the school programs. Um, they're not going to school, so they're not able to get those meals. And they've been very heroic efforts to um, get the meals out to people and do grab and grow, grab and go kind of um, distributions. Um, but again, it can be really hard for uh, parents to get their kids to the school to pick up those meals. Um, so people are just not getting the food that they normally would be. And, and you know, who knows how long this sort of economic distress is going to last. I think, you know, food banks have really risen to the challenge in recent months, but it's just going to be, I think, a very long haul. It's, it's not just going to be when the virus ends because the economic impact of it is going to go on for probably years. Um, so it's, it's a very tall order that people are looking at going forward. Yeah, I think everything we everything I'm reading is that I mean I, I didn't realize it's a hundred percent increase actually already, but from everything I'm reading, yeah, this is only kind of the beginning because obviously we've um, you know there's there's been furloughing and there's been all sorts of other things that mean the pressure is not as much now as it may be in twelve months um, because certainly the the economy is not going to bounce back that fast right. with everything that's happened. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the other thing, yeah, obviously the COVID has in, increased the issue. Um, you know, more people are in a food insecure state and needing support. Have you been experiencing also kind of the disruption in terms of the models? So, uh, you know, as you said, I mean, before you would have in the, I don't know if you call this in, in the US, but in the UK, they have soup kitchens. They talk about, I'm not sure if you call it the same thing in the US, but the whole, all the models have been broken as well because, you know, previously you would have a destination food bank. People would go queue, pick up food. Suddenly social distancing, uh, volunteers, particularly older volunteers who, you know, are most, most at risk um, now have to be home. And are, are you seeing th this kind of disruption? And, and if so, what are you, are you seeing any kind of, you know, innovation in terms of how to deal with it. I mean, you touched on a bit there actually with schools, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say there's a lot that food banks have been trying to do to um, over like just overcome the limitations of the pantry model. Right. Cause the, the pantry model has been a great thing. It's kind of the bread and butter of food banks, but there are some limitations to it. Um, so yeah, you mentioned the older volunteers um, very early in the pandemic. I talked to food bank that, um, they had, I think, 150 or so pantries that they worked with, mostly staffed by older volunteers. So they were worried about these volunteers handing out food to people, and they wanted to really streamline um, their distribution. So they closed a bunch of them and um, made like 40 or so of them to be, you know, high volume distribution area uh, outlets. And those are mostly schools. Um, they were large casinos that had big parking lots, places that had big parking lots, basically. So they closed a bunch of the smaller ones and really pumped food through a, a couple of 
um, larger ones. That's also a model actually that happened um, seen in California. Um, not necessarily closing the smaller pantries, but really emphasizing like, you know, uh, a couple dozen that are high volume, giving those pantries extra capacity in terms of like freezer space, um, you know, extra storage, whatever kind of sort of monetary support they would need to be able to have hold extra hours or, you know, have, um, you know, more paid staff come in and instead of being open, you know, maybe once a week, they would be open three days a week for eight hours at a time or something like that. So then um, by, by doing that, you know, there was also, so, so there's that, there was also a lot of mass distributions that were happening that I described before about like, um, you know, 10,000 cars coming through a parking lot at once. And, and that has, you know, that, that has its own issues. You, you're talking about people waiting in line for hours at a time to get food, right? So um, food banks were doing that. Some of them are a little frustrated by that and, and wanting to create a new system, like having the pantries, uh, be open for longer periods of time so that you sort of space out that volume instead of having everyone show up on one day, have them show up on a few days. Um, so things like that, just sort of playing with the pantry network. But also another thing that happened was a lot more meal deliveries, um, especially with like older um, clients who were not able to get out of the house, were afraid to get out of the house um, because of the virus. Um, people, food banks are really stepping up in terms of doing meal deliveries. And, um, you know, it, that's a tough thing to do. It's very logistical. It requires a lot of volunteers. Um, you got to be, you know, planning your routes a lot of times um, to make it more efficient. Um, but but food banks really stepped up and um, have been getting meals to people in that way. Um, other things that have been happening are really cool things like working with the restaurant industry um, to employ maybe people who have been laid off as chefs or cooks or line cooks um, to employ those people to to make meals and then instead of delivering you know maybe bags of food you're delivering a fresh hot meal so they go you know they have these people who are you know trained professionals they're making the food. Um, or, you know, maybe going to their very, their very own restaurant that they know not able, able to run normally anymore. And they're making the food and the food banks are coming in and doing the deliveries to their clients. So definitely a lot of innovation out there. Um, a lot of cool things going on. We'll see how much of it lasts once the coronavirus is over. You know, like now that you've done meal deliveries, can you keep doing them even afterward? Yeah, I saw that. I I nearly was about to say that and then you just brought it up, but I I've, I've saw that in, uh, it was a food bank in San Francisco, I think, but I, I saw that exact model or someone was explaining to me and, you know, I thought that was quite ingenious because you basically had restaurant, you know, workers out of work, you had food banks struggling to deliver. And, and what was clever about it was that, you know, previously they'd worked with volunteers, but then what they did is just, they kind of pivoted their model to be a, a model that paid people, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, if there's, you know, people who will then fund, you know, that, that opportunity, that work by donation, then, and that's what they did. But yeah, I mean, whether that will, will change and, and who knows, I, I think the models will probably fall back in some way, but then at the same time, it's clear that this disruption 
is not going back to any kind of normal anytime soon. I think there's going to be probably a midway point of normal where things, yeah, things, things change and people want to kind of rely on delivery models and everything else. So. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what sticks and what doesn't as we move forward. I think, I think this has probably changed a lot of um, standard practices or, or just, you know, energized a lot of people in terms of thinking about it differently. Yeah, for sure. Um, on that note, I mean, people who, I know that often people listen to, to these types of chats and, you know, they just kind of get overwhelmed with thinking, what can I do? You know, I think this is always the challenge, right? In, in, in a sector like this and other nonprofit sectors, um, you know, it's just this kind of the, the mass, the, the mass size of the problem, right? I mean, do you have any advice? It's a big question, I know, but when people say, you know, what can I do? How can I help? Are there, you know, are there lots of different ways people can help or is it simply making a donation or to different food banks, one in their area? What, you know, I mean, I know you're not the food bank, you're the journalist, but, but it, it seems you seem like the right person to ask in, in terms of, you know, when people want to help, what can they do? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different levels of ways people can help. Obviously, you know, donating is is great. And um, food banks always say they'd rather get cash, actually, than getting actual food, because they're able to take that $1 that you're donating. Um, you know, it, you, you could maybe buy one can of beans with that dollar, but they can buy probably five with it because of the relationships that they have. So they do prefer cash. Um, but then there's are so many other levels. I mean, like I said, if we really want to kind of change um, the story of this, it, it's really about changing so many things in um, society, really, and, you know, changing um, minimum wage, ha having a living wage be out there, having uh, greater so social support through food stamps and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of advocacy things, types of things people can do. So writing letters or getting involved. As I mentioned, more food banks are trying to um, pump up their the advocacy that they do in terms of um, getting more support for people who need it. And, um, you know, so if you, you're more cerebral and you want to write some letters, you know, maybe that's kind of a route that you could take. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of like just being on the ground, there's lots more opportunities, right? If you want to be a volunteer, if you're, you're young and healthy and you want to run around and do some of those food deliveries, I mean, there's a ton of opportunities for that. Tons of opportunities in terms of food rescue. Um, people are trying to um, get prepared foods like say the leftover food from Starbucks at night, right? Or, you know, whatever food might be left over at, at the deli or at different restaurants around town. I mean, there's always opportunities. I think, you know, if you want to be the guy that picks up the food that um, is left over at the end of the day and bring it to the pantry the next morning, I think that's always a welcome thing. So, you know, there's money, there's sort of uh, sitting at a, a, a desk and, and writing letters, or there's running around town and, and being active and doing that sort of thing. So, I think there's a lot of different ways people can help out. Cool. Well, that's good advice. And there's a few options because I think sometimes people often think the only thing they can do is, is nothing or make a donation. <laughs> and I know there are lots of other ways. So. Right. Um, look, it's been great. It's been great to chat. And, and is there anything else you'd like to talk about that I haven't asked you? Um, um, I mean, I guess just here at Food Bank News, what we're trying to do is really um, kind of steer 
the, move the needle right on on what food banks are trying to do. So food banks have been doing what they've been doing for 50 years. They've been around for 50 years. Um, they've been doing a great job, you know, of getting food out to people who need it. But at the same time, this problem still persists, right? So there's other levers that we need to be pushing in order to solve the problem. Um, so you know, we're trying to what we're trying to do at Food Bank News is kind of um, help people help our food bank readers, you know, kind of understand um, what their peers are doing, um, maybe help like set some benchmarks on what can be done, um, whether it be in advocacy or handing out more produce than we currently hand out, you know, what sorts of um, benchmarks can we create and put out there that can kind of uh, help set a standard around what we can do and push more food banks toward that standard. Um, and I think that's, um, and I, I'm just interested in, in having a forum where people can exchange ideas and best practices and really move the needle on this problem of hunger that's been around just for far too long. So that's what we hope to do. Awesome. Well, look, if people want to, um, want to find out more about yourself, more about Food Bank News, where's the, uh, presumably the best place to go is the website or any, any, yeah. any links to you. Do you want to just share the URL? I'll, I will also put it in the notes, but people often just listening can at least write it down. Sure. Yeah. It's um, www.foodbanknews.org. Um, check it and, out. <laughs> cool. And if they, and if they want to uh, more directly, they can find your details on there as well. If they ever want to get in touch or ask anything, they'll find you. Absolutely. On yeah. My email's right on there. It's chris.costanzo at foodbanknews.org. It's a C-H-R-I-S dot C-O-S-T-A-N-Z-O. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Cheers, Chris. I'll, I'll leave those notes um, in, the, in the podcast description. Uh, really appreciate your, your time this morning. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll keep speaking more anyway because, it, you know, we're going to kind of cross paths in the work we're doing. So. Okay, yeah, great. Excellent. Chat. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Thank Cheers. you. Bye. Bye. This is a podcast from Task. Task helps you create and measure impact. For more information, please visit task.io.